right, we're back in the Gospel of Mark tonight. If you're looking in your Bibles, that's Mark chapter 7. We're beginning at verse 31. This week's lesson and next week's lesson sort of go together. This week's called Ears to Hear. Next week is called Eyes to See. And the reason for that is because of something that we need to understand, and Mark is trying to make abundantly clear, particularly in the way that Mark is thematically positioning events from Jesus' life alongside of teachings, the words of Jesus, because most of the events illustrate the teachings, make them come alive. Okay, And they were done that way because we have spiritual ears as well as physical ears, okay? Uh, like, for instance, when I was 17, I had lived in America for 17 years. But on one night when I was about 17 and a half, I heard the gospel, and if you would have asked me, I would have said that's the first time I ever heard that. And I don't really probably believe that was true, okay, with my physical ears, Okay? I hadn't at least paid attention to it. I had, I've certainly heard church stuff and run into Christians along the way, so I must have heard the gospel at some time or another, but hadn't connected with me. But on one night, the point of my need met what somebody was saying, and I was listening not just with these ears, but with the ear of my heart. Now, when Jesus came... He did some pretty incredible things, didn't he? It's so important to realize that's not why he came. For instance, he healed all kinds of sick people, didn't he? He even like raised people from the dead. That's not why he came. Every healing... Every miracle was to illustrate why he came. Okay? Because how many of you know that if you've got a real bad physical illness and God heals you, and God does heal, God can do anything. He made your body. He can certainly fix it. Okay? But he heals you. Someday you're going to get sick again and die. <laughs> okay? That's very temporary. What he came to do has an eternal impact, right? <laughs> he came because, not because people were sick with leprosy, but because people were sick with sin. And that leprosy was a beautiful illustration of their sin. So he healed the leprosy and then talked to people about their real disease, sin, and his solution, okay? So when we say ears to hear, we're saying Jesus was saying something that was profoundly important, but not everybody was listening. Not everybody could listen. There are things that get in the way of hearing properly, aren't there? Okay. And there are things that get in the way of seeing properly. You ever wake up in the morning, early, maybe in the middle of the night, and you think, I need to go someplace important. 
all right? <laughs> and you think, my glasses are over there and I can put those on, but all I have to do is walk from here to there. How hard can that be without my glasses on? Okay? So you go, huh, I can do that. Then you take two steps and, yeah! You don't turn the lights on. Your foot's like run into something, right? And it hurts like heck. And now you're awake, right? It wouldn't have been a lot easier to just put your glasses on. But we think we can operate with limited vision physically. Not true, okay? You can't, you can't operate spiritually with limited spiritual vision. And yet a lot of people in Jesus' day were that way. So Jesus is going to, do a, going to do a healing that starts out this section. And the healing, I think, was placed right here because it beautifully illustrates what Jesus is really trying to say. Let's start with a definition. Jesus came to deliver sinners from bondage to sin. That's why he came. Sin and the awful consequences that accompanied it. Everything else Jesus did, every miracle, every healing, every deliverance, every sign and wonder was performed for the purpose of validating that He was the Messiah. In the Old Testament prophets, they had promised Again and again, over and over, as many ways as it could be said. A deliverer is coming. And in some cases, they would say, you'll recognize him when he gets here. And they would attach some miraculous signs. But then often they would also say things like, and when he comes, the, the, the lame will walk, and the blind will see, and the deaf will hear. But the whole point of that was so they would recognize him when he got here. He would do things no one else could do. And when he did, you would know that the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer had come to address your sin, problem, and need. Verse 31, spiritual deafness. Some, some husbands have been accused of having selective hearing, right? Okay. <laughs> Spiritually, that's oftentimes the case with people. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Those of you who have taken level one discipleship class, you know. Picture the Sea of Galilee. On the one side, Capernaum, inland, Nazareth, places like that, where Jesus had a base of ministry. On the other side, across either across the, the Sea of Galilee or across a little further south, through, across the Jordan River, were cities and bases for Roman uh, military installations. The Decapolis, anybody know what Decapolis means? Ten cities. Yeah, you know, like the Decathlon is ten uh, athletic events. Decapolis means ten cities in Latin. It was ten cities that Rome had based there, and they were largely inhabited by Gentiles. That's where Jesus went. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and hardly could talk. They begged Jesus to place his hand on him. He took him aside, away from the crowd, 
Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Now, are you grossed out yet? Okay. Now, this was, of course, because when you're deaf, Jesus can't heal you unless he sticks his finger in your ear. You believe that? <laughs> I hope you don't believe that. <laughs> no. This is because he's trying to make a point. These fingers aren't ordinary fingers. These are the fingers, says Jesus. These are the fingers of the Son of God. Okay. Healing comes through this body. More and greater healing on the deepest level, the spiritual level, shall also come. When people speak the truth, it's because I am the truth touches his tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said, Ephata, which means <laughs> be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Now again, this of course is a miracle. Have you ever heard someone who was deaf for a long time and then got maybe uh, implants or they were able to somehow have their, healing, their ear, hearing restored? Okay, Did, did they speak plainly? <laughs> they didn't speak plainly because they'd never heard themselves speak before. They didn't even know what talk sounded like. Okay, uh, They had to learn how to control their voice and that. And so that itself was a miracle, for sure. Commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did, the more they kept talking about it. I'm thinking, in this particular case, Jesus does this a lot and it almost never works. Says, don't tell anybody, right? In this case, I think... He did this healing largely for his disciples. Okay. Because they had heard what he had to say. Most of the time, did they get it? No. <laughs> they had a spiritual hearing problem, didn't they? Okay. And so I think the reason for taking him aside was so that the disciples would observe it up close and personal, what he was doing. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well. That simply means he can do it all. <laughs> I mean, he can do things that have never been done. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Why did Jesus choose to heal this man at this time. It's something that when you study the Gospels, you need to be clear about. Jesus walked by all kinds of deaf people, likely, and didn't heal them. I'm always amazed by the story. Um, in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter and John are going to the temple for time of prayer, right? And they go walking uh, into the temple, and right there at the gate is a lame man who used to get placed there by his family every day so he could beg alms. Okay? And the man uh, asked for alms, right? And Peter uh, says to him, 
Silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the man not only rose and walked, he started dancing, okay, so that it grew a great crowd, and it was another preaching opportunity. The point is, the text says very clearly, the family laid this man every day at the temple gate. How many times do you think Jesus had walked right by him? Okay. Because he was going to be used as a point to show that he was going to do through his apostles what he had done himself, right? And to do that, that had to happen after he was gone. So time and time again, when Jesus went to the temple, he walked right by this man begging alms. Did nothing for him. <laughs> Timing is everything, isn't it? <laughs> okay, And this was the time. This was the moment for this man. Why did Mark decide to include it at this point in his narrative? Good question. Jesus had been preaching the gospel of the kingdom and affirming his message with miraculous signs, yet most of his listeners, including his disciples, sought only physical healing and demonic deliverance as a result. They weren't really hearing what he was trying to say. Spiritually speaking, they were as deaf as this recipient of his healing touch. What weren't they hearing? Yeah, that it was God doing it. Actually, what I was hoping you'd come up with was what I spent five minutes introducing this lesson saying. Remember what I said? <laughs> yeah, that's what I just said, but before that. Yes. <laughs> that he came to heal their spiritual condition. Okay, That every physical healing he did was only to indicate he was the Messiah and that he could heal any disease, including the worst disease, <laughs> your spiritual condition and separation from God. But they weren't getting it. They weren't grasping it. Because that's why he says, don't tell anybody. And that's why they had to tell everybody because they couldn't hear <laughs> what, the, what he was really saying. And again, what... Those who told everybody, what do you think they were telling everybody? That he was <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That here we found a guy who can heal any disease you've got, and that wasn't the point of his coming. Now, be sure of this: physical illness and the various problems that all of us face are indication that we live in a fallen world, which is the result of sin in our world. Okay. And Jesus can reverse any of that anytime he wants to. But the root problem is our sin. And nobody else can do anything about our sin. <laughs> okay? Only the Savior. Everything else he did was to emphasize that. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now during those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, 
who has who has that for their that's your why do you have the old spice <laughs> does, does your like your your fiance wear old spice or something no, I, <laughs> oh oh that's what okay <laughs> Sorry, you're the one who left it on, and I wasn't going to spend the rest of this night teaching one. Why does she have that? Okay. <laughs> Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days, have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place? See, why did they call it a remote place? Any guesses? What country were they in? Yeah, the Decapolis, Gentile country. They were going like, we're not going to a store in Gentile country. <laughs> there, there are nasty people that live here. Okay? But we're in this remote place. Can we get enough bread to feed them? Well, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. Now, now this is curious because. Okay? Jesus is about to do a miracle. You probably see it coming. And he has done the same miracle. Okay. But when he did it earlier, he did it on the other side of the lake. Jewish country. Right? You remember that story? And how he multiplied the bread and the fishes and everybody ate. And then when they got done, they collected how many baskets full? Twelve. Twelve is the number for Israel, right? Twelve tribes of Israel. And, and he's saying like, yep, I came to feed the spiritual hunger of Jews. Now he's not in Jewish country, is he? He's on the other side of the lake. He's in the Decapolis. Okay. How many loaves do they have? Seven. That's the number of completion, inclusion. Okay. He's saying, like, didn't just come for Jews. I came. Not just Jews are sinners. All of humanity we're all struggling with the same problem. I came for them too. Seven, they replied. How curious. So he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and we're satisfied. Let me tell you this. You can eat all the loaves and fishes you want. And you won't be satisfied. <laughs> that represents a far deeper satisfaction that comes with the joy of sins forgiven, right? Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full. Now, that's pretty good. They started with seven, ended up with seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present after he had sent them away. He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Certainly Jesus must have anticipated the dilemma of making 
every effort available to teach this important message to a crowd that had gathered, waiting for him to do additional miracles. That's why they were there. They weren't there to get fed. Okay. They ended up getting fed, and that was a nice bonus. But they were there for what Jesus could do for them, besides feeding. And to do additional miracles that day when there was no provision for them to eat as they grew hungry. He chose to feed more than 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish as a reminder that he had come to offer his own life in this same way. Do you remember what we just did? We, we took the bread and we said, he took it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. The number seven, the number indicating completion, is likely an indication that this time he performed the wonder for Gentiles. Verse 11. So the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. Now this is interesting because this means they chased him down. They were observing, you know, they had pretty well come to the conclusion he's not the Messiah. We can't follow him. And now he's doing miracles for Gentiles. And I'm sure that pretty well sealed it. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. This is the guy that just took seven loaves and a few fishes and fed 4,000 people. Okay? And they go like, well, how about a miracle? Then we'll believe. Right? <laughs> he sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign. Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. A prophetic promise to Israel regarding the coming Messiah had been clearly and completely fulfilled by Jesus. Yet the Pharisees were unwilling to accept that Jesus, who had violated many of their traditional teachings could possibly be the one. So they asked for additional proof, a sign which the Savior, because he knew that their minds were already made up, refused to offer. It is likely that they hoped to expose some limitation in his powers to support their rejection of him. But Jesus was finished with their religious game playing. Verse 14. <laughs> this is so curious. And I think Mark places this here right on purpose. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Why is this not a problem? The guy they're with just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. I don't think, I think if he can work with seven loaves, feed 4,000, he can feed 12 with no loaves, right? But... They just had one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, this is a word picture that Jesus has used earlier, will be used later in the New Testament, and is used in the Old Testament, in which yeast is a um, uh, symbol of sin. He's saying... Watch out for the pervasive, subtle, 
sin of the Pharisees. Because most people thought of the Pharisees because of their close attention to the law as sinless. <laughs> and he's going, you got to watch out. Their sin is the most sneaky. There's the most pervasive and it will sneak up and get you. Watch out for it. But they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. <laughs> I don't know how they got that. Con Sometimes I'd like to hear some people's responses to my sermons on Sunday. It's probably just as goofy. It's because they had no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? I, I'm not sure what the uh, Aramaic word is for bonehead, but I'm sure that was in there somewhere. <laughs> Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Hardening of the heart, Jesus has mentioned on a few occasions. He's talking about the fact that the kind of perception, the kind of hearing that was necessary to embrace him as Messiah was a spiritual hearing and sight on the heart level. Heart representing the deepest level of human consciousness. When you harden your heart, it's like, have you ever been this? Uh, I don't want to argue with you. My mind's already made up. You know, you're not listening to the truth. You're not listening to the facts. You're already convinced, and that's what a hardened heart is. Their hearts were hardened. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Now, that's curious, isn't it? Because Jesus shows a great technique here. Because what form of sentence does he use to express this truth. It's got that punctuation mark on like that. Question, yeah. Questions show respect. Oftentimes if people are defensive and not ready to receive the truth and you give them the truth in its purest statement form with an explanation mark at the end, they just put up their defenses, don't they? But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He says, do, do you have eyes but you can't see? And ears, but fail to hear. In other words, how's your spiritual vision and hearing? And don't you remember? Because see, that's what happens. My up. Don't confuse me with the facts. That's where that comes from. Because you've decided something, and it makes you feel secure. And then when something comes in that's the truth that contradicts it, you just close it out. You you forget. Some things are unforgettable. How many of you think that if you ever saw 4,000 people fed with seven loaves, you'd remember? <laughs> they forgot. They're worried about Jesus getting on our case because we only have one loaf of bread. Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, that was the earlier miracle among Jews, remember? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. How many of you are having flashbacks to math class? Okay, 
If I had two of these and three, right? Okay. And the teacher who's trying to be as gentle and with you as he can is trying to like move you through the process, right? And Jesus is going, okay, see if you can compute this on a spiritual level. Who do you suppose could feed 5,000 or 4,000 with just a few loaves and fishes? Now think about this. Is there anybody you know that could do that? Could Walmart do that? Don't think so. Okay. Then what does that mean? He said to them, Do you still not understand? No one had seen or experienced more than the twelve had. And yet, too often... They missed the point. When he warned about the yeast, the pervasive sin of the Pharisees, they had rejected him because of his failure to live up to their standards, even though they had seen the facts. And of Herod, one who was too busy cooperating with the Romans to be interested in a true kingdom of God, they were confused and thought he was talking about their failure to bring actual bread with them. Ears to hear. Questions about tonight's text? Or comments are all right too? Yes, Roberta. I knew you'd have a good question. I could read it in your eyes. I, I said I knew you'd have a good question. I could read it in your eyes. They, wilderness is the older term it also was used in the King James. And the reason why most modern English verses don't use wilderness is because when we think of wilderness, we usually think of a forest. Okay? The wilderness that was in mind, and first of all, there are no forests in Palestine, but it was all meant out in the remote area is sand and rock. Right, and that's all it was. And then the Jewish people wandering around in the wilderness for right. years. Right, different wilderness, but yeah, same, yeah, right, same idea, sand and rock. But maybe they're, they're still learning something every time they go through the wilderness? Well, yeah, except for, yeah, the thing is that, like, you're right, that's the whole purpose. God wouldn't let you go through the wilderness unless he was trying to teach you something, but how, they had to... A whole generation died in the wilderness with the Jews because they never did get it. And then they had to try with the next generation. So unfortunately, and the same thing was the case with the religious leaders in Israel at the time of Jesus. A few of them, in the end, did come to faith. But the far and abundant majority, I mean, they continually harassed and persecuted the early church after Christ's death. So they still were in rejection of Jesus after he was dead. They were convinced that killing him would get him out of their hair, and it just got worse. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. So wilderness, when you see wilderness, and, and the thing is, 
really the, the term there that's translated wilderness just means a place where there are no resources. It's not a city. It's not a town. It's the area between towns where there's no store to stop, no gas station, no, that, that's the meaning of wilderness. So that's why, since, and that's where all the places were, where there were empty places where you could gather a crowd and talk to them and do things like Jesus did. So that's why they were in the wilderness. Yes, Natalie. Good question. Mm -hmm. First of all, being stubborn is not a bad thing. Being stupidly stubborn, that's a bad thing. Okay, but the stupid part was the part that was getting them in trouble because the Jews had a perception of what Messiah would be like when he arrived. Okay, and a lot of it was based upon folklore, not what the Old Testament prophets had said. <laughs> okay, and traditions from what the teachers of the law had come to believe. All right, and so the problem was definitely for the religious leaders, but even for the disciples on that level, was to embrace Jesus as he was. Because while he fulfilled every one of the prophecies regarding him, he had contradicted terribly many of what the Pharisees had been teaching about. When the Messiah shows up, well, he'll certainly be a Pharisee because we're the most spiritual, and he'll be the most spiritual of all. Well, we live in the era of Christ's resurrection, right? okay? Is all your doubt gone? <laughs> so you're not going to answer that question? <laughs> all right, yeah. No, as an example, no, I think to be human is to have doubt, okay? <laughs> but the truth is, God has left us with no reason for doubt. We're back to being, what was that word you used? Stubbornly stupid. When we do that, I mean, I'm going like, you know, God has brought me through 101 hair-raising situations, and I have some little problem come up tomorrow, and I want to freak out, okay? <laughs> How dumb can you be? If he took care of me back there, isn't he going to take care of me now? Has he brought me this far that he's going to just let go of me? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Yes, Josh. Hey, you got a ride tonight. I was glad to see that. Who'd you get a ride from? Jane, Jane, why did I even ask? <laughs> Jane will give anybody a ride. <laughs> now, I, don't want, I don't want to go out of text, but I mean, between, well, maybe you could explain to people, am I seeing a paradigm here? A paradigm? As in a pattern? Like, yeah, like in other words, you know, obviously the people just want to get more fed, but they're missing the whole thing. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's the whole story of the Gospels, and Mark is making it. But the only one, even... Okay, when Jesus is arrested, okay, the disciples still don't get it, <laughs> okay? It takes the resurrection, and even that doesn't do, do it for them, really. It really takes the coming of the Holy Spirit before they start putting a few things together. But then we're back to Natalie's question. They're human. They also struggle with doubts and questions, even after that. Hold on a second. Another, I mean, I don't want to go out of context here, but I've been reading the book of John, and I'm seeing the seven 
Right. And still it seemed like, once again, they were in doubt. Yeah, but see, the thing is, it's really weirder that we're in doubt than they were in doubt. Because you just said something like you went, well, there were seven signs. How do we know there were seven signs? Because we have a written gospel, and we can count them. Hey, look at this. Seven times Jesus did these things. Hmm, wonder if he's trying to say. They didn't have the benefit of that. <laughs> okay, they were getting it little by little. Okay, so their doubt is more reasonable than my doubt, or your doubt, in my opinion. Okay, I'm sure all of us would have ran for our lives too. I mean, not to speak for all of you, but I have this feeling that's a pretty human reaction. But had they not noticed what Jesus had done <laughs> all this time while they walked with him? But that's the point. He's gradually bringing them to those conclusions. And, and, the, and also, the point was that he was the Messiah. And so the first thing, he, there were a series of conclusions they had to come to. First of all, they had to come to the conclusion he was the Messiah. Okay? Secondly, they had to come to the conclusion that the Messiah did not come, that's this question, did not come to deliver us from Roman rule. That was the traditional belief. He came to deliver us from sin. And there's even a third one. No, nobody believed this, this third one. We believe it in retrospect because we've reread the Old Testament in light of what happened. None of them believed that the Messiah would be God in human flesh. <laughs> okay? So he was stage by stage. But it, when he's saying these things about, are you not listening here? He who has ears to hear, he was saying this a lot of times at the end of his parables. Let him hear <laughs> what we're saying here. So the doubt was coming in, you know, as he was bringing them through. But... The doubt was probably a battle they had to have in their lives after that as well. Yes, Dale. Right. Right, and the thing was, actually the disciples, for the most part that he had, with the exception of a couple of their backgrounds, would indicate that it was more the Jewish religious leaders who thought that not, these, not the average Jew. The average Jew really thought the Messiah would come and make life way more comfortable for them. <laughs> okay, Take care of their problems. Yes, stand up for them if the Romans bullied them, but basically just made life, you know, like lowered the taxes or something. That's what they were looking for. Okay, They didn't realize their real problem was their separation from God because of their sin. And that's what he came to take care of. Then the other stuff falls into place and eventually we go to heaven where I'm pretty sure no taxes. <laughs> hey, the, 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 the treasurer gave me a fist. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? Question? Yes, Dave. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, here's the thing: is that two problems that look similar, but they're not exactly the same thing. 
And we use the words interchangeably, but the Bible does not use them interchangeably. They're both terrible problems, but they're different problems. Unbelief and doubt, those are not the same thing. Unbelief is a choice. Unbelief is, the Pharisees say, we'll believe in you if you just show us another sign. That's unbelief. Because they're, they're just looking for him to trip up at some point so they can decide not to. Their minds are made up. Okay, Doubt is, oh no, we think he's on our case because we didn't bring enough bread. <laughs> they're not connecting the dots. And we do that. Our thinking gets in the way of what we spiritually and our spiritual hearing know is true. God's going to take care of me. God's always been there for me. He's taken care of my sin problem. He's given me grace till now. He's, there's no end to his All these things I spiritually know, but my brain gets in the way sometime. Okay, you know? And that's why I meant by stubbornly stupid. Yes, Kirk. Sure. For, for, forgive me if I'm going down a wrong, wrong route, but I think I'm not, and I'll say this for everybody's benefit. That's because when you're an alcoholic, okay, you have one answer to every problem. Okay? <laughs> right? <laughs> okay? And, and every time you use as a way of dealing with your problem, you get further away from facing the problem. Right? And so it's like, that's where it's like not so much doubt as it is just like uh, sticking your head in the sand. You know? Because the problem is, if you remember like when you first start sobering up, then it's like all that stuff's like right in your face again. And that's the problem. So that would be my conclusion is, you got sober, all of a sudden you realize God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God is for you to just get Open up your spiritual ears to hear what he's saying. Now all of a sudden he's saying good things to you, isn't he? <laughs> he's not saying, Kirk, you're a loser. That's what you feared he was saying. Yeah. But now that you're listening, you're going like, Kirk, I love you. I got great plans for your life. Man, can I use you. I'm so proud of you. That's what God's saying, right? Aren't you glad you started listening to him? Can't, can't do that while you're doing this. Just a thought. And anybody want to say amen to that? <laughs> All right, good enough. All right, we're out of time tonight. God bless you. Have a great, oh, next week's uh, lesson is the second half, Eyes to See from 822 to 913. Have a good night, everybody. Bless you.